Hello, this is episode 144 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Dr. Nisha O'Reilly. Writing is more than words. People have asked me to record a podcast on books. Those who read them have all suggested this in one way or another to go through them and pick out the chapters and topics and talk about them. I thought I'd do this in a novel way. This could be why black writers speak to me part two. This is an excellent day to do this. It's June 19th. Or an extension of what it takes to write a book with dyslexia. Or why education has never been inclusive. Or why it's so hard to do anything without compromising what you know. Because in a way, when you start compromising, you start fitting what's already out in the world. You aren't really presenting anything new. And I think in many ways, this is the energy that everyone battles for change. To stay true, consistent, even when it's not popular. If you changed, it would be an easier path. But where would the path lead to? And there are four main reasons why I relate so much to black writers. The voice, the view on education, balance of energies, purpose in creating art. So I'll start to go through these. I came across a really brilliant quote by Pina Bush yesterday. I'm not interested in how people move, but what moves them. If I had a physical representation for my words, it would look like her work. And yes, it would make you feel uncomfortable, as some of her pieces do. And it would make you feel confused. And you would sit there and go, what's this really invoking in me? Why am I moving this way? I've already spoken in an earlier podcast about how reading Zora Neale Hurston showed me the difference between speaking in your head and speaking out loud. And this is one of the greatest discrepancies for people with dyslexia. It took me a long time to gain the confidence to write as I talk, but it took me even longer to gain the confidence to write as I talk in my head. And this is disconcerting for people. It doesn't fit your way of seeing the world. It's not about being colloquial. I'm not trying to emulate the characters in a Roddy Doyle book, who very often are perceived to have limited education, confidence or self-esteem. They're portrayed in a certain way. The purpose of presenting my words the way I do. In some ways, it's similar to a stream of consciousness because that is how many people work in their minds. But in doing that, I'm allowing you to process the world and to see life as I see it. It's not about chopping letters off words or pronouncing them wrong or using the wrong words in the wrong way in the wrong places. It's about seeing a topic from a different angle. It's about having a different pace. It's about taking something apart and then allowing it to cycle back to a new place, a better version, a solution. This is what people with dyslexia do. They see the world differently. They create solutions differently. There have been many books trying to list the gifts of dyslexia. But some of our best pioneers think in this way. And this, in a lot of cases, is very similar to the sort of biases that we make in our minds about black people. We make all sorts of biases about people all the time, and especially in terms of intelligence literacy, education, status, and your place in the world. 
and whether I think you're worth listening to. But we wouldn't ask Einstein or Edison to think differently. We don't have a problem with what they create when it's physical and it's useful to us or it's a theory that we can embrace. But neither of them survived an education system because we couldn't accept that they actually needed to think differently. And this is those biases are the reasons why we don't have inclusive education. It doesn't matter how many supports you put in place if you don't have the expectation for someone's mind to actually work differently. We're dismantling the world in a way that's unfamiliar to the masses. I don't write the way you want or the way you expect. And there's an irony in writing a book on unconditional and asking you to be unconditional enough to step outside and see the world from a different vantage point. It turns everything on its head and then you really experience it. And what happens in the beginning is many people start to try to correct it or want to fix it, but then they accept it and they accept what it creates, as Pina Bush does, what it moves in you to look at your own scenarios and your own stories in your head in a new way for new solutions. It makes you see that the world is a different place. It makes you see that not everybody thinks the same. It makes you accept true difference in humanity, which we've never been able to do because we've never experienced that. And by allowing yourself to see your life differently, I can help you in a way that other people haven't been able to, because other people have been giving the expected answers. And this is a big sense. I always joke that the only thing that people who come to work with me have in common is they've all been to other people. And it's about that aspect of approaching things differently. And I remember the first time I sat in a workshop in university and I played a game and I turned up in a suit so the people the working panel that I was put into didn't realize I was a student they thought I was a member of academic staff and we were given a task to do and I listened to everybody's suggestions and and I then presented to them the the reasons why they thought certain ways and how they really needed to look at this differently in terms of actually lecturing someone with dyslexia and at the end of it, they were like, oh, you, you really get this. And I'm, I'm like, yes, I do. I'm a dyslexic student in the university. And it's those assumptions that we need to get beyond. But if I had turned up in my student garb, no one would have ever listened to me in that working panel. And those are the biases that you're constantly trying to get beyond. And of course, it's, there's a security for you. You can feel superior about yourself. You can feel better by correcting me. It's, it's much safer to do that than it is to look at the challenging topics that have been brought up. And the challenge to face your own biases, the challenge of the assumptions that you've made about your life and everybody else's around you. The challenges at the very start of my book about thinking about how, how a seven-year-old feels in a classroom environment who's not being given any help, and how that makes you feel in yourself. And many parents in the beginning really struggle with it because they think, oh, that's my child, I, have, I haven't helped them when I've put them in there. And 
the assumption that everybody makes is that at that moment at seven I felt like a victim, but I never did. And so there's so much for you to unravel and to face. And so yes, it's easier to wish to correct me than to look at those aspects head on. Which brings me to the next point of why I relate so much to black writers in terms of education. For many people, we've lost the purpose of education. It's not about achieving so you have great status, so you prove your intelligence, so that you have a material worth outside. It's about enriching your life internally and growing as a person. And when I read black writers, I, this resonates so strongly with me. And it can be all sorts of people. Like when I read the biography of Michelle Obama, Becoming, it was very clearly there. But the part that's more profound that many people don't get in a way is the mantle that you have to hold for other people. The fact that since I was 10 years of age, I've been saying to myself that I wish to make every educational environment I've ever been in better for the next person coming after me. And the responsibility to do that. And the fact that everything you do not only reflects on you, it reflects on everyone coming after you. The fact that what you do as a black person reflects how people perceive an entire race of people based on their intelligence. And the struggles for them to be ever seen to be intelligent enough to be an inclusive education. Can you imagine being one of nine black students to be sent to white schools and not even the same school? Can you imagine having to prove that the black brain was intelligent enough to learn to be allowed to be there? And as I read one of the interviews with a black student by James Baldwin in, in a piece called A Fly in Buttermilk from 1958, it was originally called A, a Hard Kind of Courage, which I think is a more apt title. And if James Baldwin had sat in front of me and interviewed me in the same way as that student, I would have told him that everything was grand. I would have had my head stuck in a book too as he spoke to me, as I struggled to prove myself and to do so well. I wouldn't have taken the time to, to bother to have the conversation, to bother to say how bad the bullying was, that I had to fish my books out of the bin at the start of each class, the fact that when I sat on a table that everyone else deliberately got up and moved to a new table. You know, all the trivial things that happened every day in school, both in terms of the teachers and the students. And I always say that the teachers set the tone for the bullying, not the students. And so when I listen to that interview, I think, yes, I wouldn't have said it any, any of those things either. I would have gone on and just have to get through, you know, and stuck my head in the book and worked really hard to do so. So that really resonates with me. And it really resonates that you're not just doing it for yourself. You're doing it for everyone else after you. And the last part I want to talk about is an idea that I wrote about recently in a piece using music as the basis and thinking about creating something from the heart instead of the mind. This idea that the African creative process is different, that it has a life force of its own. I can't describe to you what it's like to actually put your soul into a piece of work. It's much more 
than words on a page. And in every sense, people benefit from your raw vulnerability. They aren't just words to be pushed around and edited in an expressive sense. A bit like when I go back to Pain of Bush, it is that aspect of soul and heart in the work that invokes how you move with it. And there is an energetic purpose to the flow and the patterns and what you're made to feel. And I guess this is also where I see the balance point and where we look for balance rather than roles in terms of a relationship too. That aspect comes through very clearly to me as well. And of course it would be easier to do what's expected of me, but nothing ever worth doing was ever easy. And nothing that ever leaves a lasting legacy was ever embraced in the beginning. It was always rejected many times until it finds a one person who can connect with it in pureness and believe in it unconditionally too.